From Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Ada Bjorkman. This is Podcast In Place, a series about youth in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. Despite nearly half of the state's population being fully vaccinated, Alaska is experiencing some of its highest case counts and hospitalizations as we head into the fall. We know that the weather can change and the weatherman is often wrong. And so we, you know, learn that this time of year we throw in a rain jacket and we take extra precautions in it. That is Dr. Ann Zink, Alaska's chief medical officer and our guest for today's show. The difference between something like the weather, which can have trends and knowns and unknowns, is we have control to some degree as a community, as a society, on how much bad weather we're going to have. How much COVID is spreading is really dependent on all of us and what we do collectively in that space or not. At Me senior producer Quinn White spoke with Dr. Zink just days after the FDA gave full approval to the Pfizer vaccine. She also talks about the Delta variant, booster shots, and how divergent messages from community leaders impact how we can get through this pandemic. So Dr. Sink, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I know this is like your fourth or fifth time being on our show, so I'm really excited to talk to you today. So the FDA gave the Pfizer vaccine full approval. What does this mean for the future of us getting out of this pandemic and for other vaccines? Yeah, no, thanks for the question, Quinn. And thanks for having me. I love that you guys have this Teen Media Institute and all the work that you do in the space. And you've done some amazing reporting in the past. So I wish that we were not having our fifth recording on this pandemic. I wish that we were talking about something else because there's so much about health. But this pandemic is still here uh, and it continues to really uh, plague our state and others. And so it's uh, I really am grateful for the time. The difference between now versus other times when we've met have been, just as you mentioned, having a fully authorized vaccine. So the FDA, which gives authorization for vaccines, is the most robust um, process in the world, honestly, for authorization of things like medications as well as immunizations. And during HIV, they saw that there was a real need to get out medications early when there may be real significant harm for waiting. And as a result, they created a process during that time called an emergency use authorization. And basically, an emergency use authorization allows you to use that medication, but only in limited form. You have to use it exactly how they say, and the companies cannot market that medication at all. Once the FDA loads through their whole process, the full FDA approval process, then um, you can start to use it off-label. So you can use it in ways that weren't specific to the right recommendation. This happens all the time in medicine. There's all the time where we might use medications, what we call off-label, where they're fully approved, but there might be some data to say we should start to use it this way or that. Uh, And then the other big difference with a full approval is that the vaccine can start to be marketed or the medicine can be marketed directly from the company. So those are the big differences. There's also a couple small liability changes with both an EUA approved vaccine and a full approval. The federal government takes responsibility if there's some problem with the vaccine, but that is even more expanded uh, under the the full approval. And so there's a lot of information on there if you're interested about the liability, but there is liability if there's a problem with the vaccines. And so now that we've had, you know, over 5 billion doses of a vaccine given across the world. You know, we've had over 4 million doses in the United States. It's um, great to see that these vaccines, and and particularly right now with the Pfizer, has gone through all the processes uh, to get fully approved. 
The one thing I'll state that's causing a lot of confusion right now is people want to know where they can get the fully approved vaccine. It's the exact same vaccine as the Pfizer vaccine. It is the Pfizer vaccine. It just now has like a fancy new name for marketing, but all of the vaccine that is in, you know, cars or Walmart or Fred Meyers, that's all the same vaccine. It's just now they're slightly different. You know, it gets a new fancy name and there's slightly different changes to liability, but it's the same exact vaccine. What's in the bottle did not change. And so uh, go out and get your Pfizer vaccine if you're looking for a fully approved vaccine at this time. It's the same one. Even though the Pfizer has the full FDA approval, it's still not available to children under the age of 12. Do you have any insight to why that is or when young children might be able to get vaccinated? Yeah, it's a great question. So when they're approving these vaccines, what they're doing is they're looking, everything in life has some risk. You know, if I'm uh, driving down the road, it has some risk. Everything we do has a degree of risk. They look at a vaccine and they look at any potential benefit and any potential harm, anything from a sore arm to a fever to in some, you know, very rare cases of things like inflammation of the heart or myocarditis or pericarditis versus um, other blood clots. And then they look at the harm of not vaccinating. And at this point with the Delta variant moving so easily and fast across the country and in Alaska, we are all making a choice right now to either um, get the virus without being vaccinated or to be exposed with the virus with getting vaccinated. So think of vaccine as kind of like teaching your body to have a strong armor to help protect you so that if you get the virus, if you see the virus, you're much less likely to get sick or to die. These vaccines were never designed to prevent all infection. That's really hard to do. What they're designed to do is teach your immune system how to take down the virus with the least harm to you. So this might be a runny nose or, you know, not feeling well for a day or two, but it's not you're ending up in the hospital or you're getting really sick overall. So they look at overall in the population, the risk of COVID versus the risk of the vaccine. And if the risk of COVID is significantly greater than any risk associated with the vaccine, that's when they're like, OK, we should go ahead and prove it and get it out there because it's, it's going to be safer. So for example, like the myocarditis, the inflammation of the heart, you're about 500 times more likely to get that inflammation if you get COVID than if you get the vaccine. So, you know, looking at the risk, it does have a risk associated with the vaccine, but still much greater with COVID than anything else. The only one that's greater with the vaccine than with COVID is kind of some swollen lymph nodes, lymphadenopathy after the injection site. You get some swollen lymph nodes as your body's creating the reaction. So that's the only one where you're at higher risk but that's benign. It goes away. It's self-limiting. But when we get down to children, children don't tend to get COVID-19 as badly. They tend to do very well. They don't tend to get as sick. And so it's really important that we are very carefully looking at the risk benefit of every age group, including this age group, before we authorize a vaccine in that space. And because we know adults were more impacted from COVID-19 than children, that's why those trials started with them. Currently, there are trials going on all the way down to six months of age, but the biggest trials are looking at five years to 11 uh, years of age, and those trials are done enrolling people. So they have all the kids that they need to enroll. They had been asked to enroll even more kids than they planned on to look for really, really rare side effects uh, of the vaccine. So they were like, we need more people to make sure we're not missing cases. So they have now enrolled that extra group of kids so we have more information before they approve it. And we're waiting for those trials to complete. Once those trials are complete, they submit that information to the FDA. It takes about a month for it to go through the FDA. And then they make a decision. Yes, it's safer to get vaccinated compared to COVID or no, it's not. And we're not going to approve it. There's many vaccines that have not been approved or, or only approved for certain age groups. 
And so that's what we're waiting on right now. We're waiting on those trials. So while it's really frustrating because we got a lot of COVID spreading, we do really need to make sure that before we roll something out, it's safe and it's efficacious. So for that reason, I suspect that we won't have a COVID-19 vaccine for younger kids until at least the end of this year, maybe the beginning of the next year. But again, we got to wait on the trials and we got to see what the data looks like before we recommend it for that age group. So um, hoping uh, for um, continued information and just very appreciative of all the scientists and honestly, the families who've enrolled their kids in these vaccine trials so that we collectively can know if this is a good idea to vaccinate our kids five to 11. So um, big, big kudos to all of those who have signed up for vaccine trials so that we can we can have this information before we roll it out across the nation kind of reflecting on like the last like since we've been in the pandemic I remember like at the beginning of like this last year when the vaccine was first coming out it was a really exciting time for like the first time I remember feeling like there seemed to be an end in sight but since then vaccination rates have slowed down and enthusiasm has seemed to slow down with it so do you think with this FDA approval for Pfizer and hopefully the other vaccines to follow that we could regain that enthusiasm? It's a great question. You know, I've never met a patient who's not vaccinated because they wanted to get ill or because they wanted their community to be sick. There's a lot of misinformation out there uh, and people have really important concerns. And so it's for those reasons, I really encourage anyone with any concerns to get information from a trusted healthcare source. And so that may be your primary care provider. That may be a healthcare provider in your community. That may be a pharmacist. Like you can honestly stop into most local pharmacies and talk to the pharmacist. Allergists and immunologists, like this is really their area of expertise. So if you have like a complex medical question or you have a really complex medical history, those are who you should be talking to as an allergist and immunologist to really understand if this vaccine is right for you or not. I do think that based on state data and national data, some people were just wanting to wait and see. And I think that's totally understandable and reasonable. Um, We get more data over time. The question about long-term side effects of the vaccine, I think is, is at this point, these vaccines only last in your, in your body for hours to days, and then they're destroyed. Um, and your body's then normal immune system is what is left to take down the virus as soon as you see it. So that, that's all that's left is just essentially your normal immune system in that space. Um, and we see adverse events from vaccines really within the first hours to months after being vaccinated, but not years. So at this point, you know, we're over a year of having these vaccines in trial and now widely distributed. And that is why the FDA fully approved it. So I'm hoping that will help. I also think that as we're seeing more COVID cases, that is also driving people to choose to get vaccinated more. Uh, and our data shows that, you know, if we looked at just this past week compared to three weeks ago, like if we're comparing week to week, we've had a 24% increase in vaccines. So we are seeing an uptake in vaccines across the state as people are getting their questions answered. Uh, and again, I just really encourage anyone and everyone who's got a question, or maybe you've decided to get vaccinated, talk to your friends and family who might not have gotten vaccinated. I'm surprised at how many people just say, I never have gotten around to it, or, you know, I just wasn't sure. And you as a trusted friend or family may be the turning point for them to go ahead and get vaccinated. So uh, I encourage people to keep asking with open minds and open hearts on it. (laughs) The one thing that has changed since the last time we spoke with you was the Delta variant has now become like the predominant version of COVID. So can you break down for our listeners exactly what the Delta variant is and how it's different from earlier strains of COVID and how it may be contributing to the recent spike in cases? 
Yeah, no, awesome question as well. So a couple different things. This is an RNA virus. And so RNA is a single strand um, that kind of contains the information about the virus. When it enters your body, it enters into your cells and kind of hijacks your cells and then uses your cell structure to make more of itself, to replicate. But when it does that, these single strands can sometimes have a, a messy copy editor. They don't copy perfectly right. And there could be small changes in the RNA as it's copying itself. And some of these small changes go on to make the virus spread less easily from person to person. But some of those changes make it spread more easily from person to person. And every time this virus gets a chance to replicate, it has a chance to make more of these mistakes, some of which are helpful to the virus and some of them are harmful to the virus. When the changes happen in the virus in a way that makes it spread more easily from person to person, it can outcompete. It can move more quickly than the same virus that doesn't move as fast. So think of it like, you know, running your cross country race. It's like they suddenly got the fast new shoes. It might run much faster than the other ones. And it's the one that goes first. And the more it can go first, the more it can replicate and the more it can spread. And so what we've seen with this virus really since day one is we've seen it making these small changes. Uh, but really in the last year, we have seen bigger changes that are either making it cause people to be more sick, the vaccines not to work as well, treatments not to work as well, or to spread more quickly. And these are what we call variants of concern. And variants of concern then get these um, kind of uh, Greek lettering systems so that we can keep track of them and not describe them just in the place they were found or the really complex numbering. So the Delta variant is one of the variants of concern. It was initially identified in India. It's separate from the Alpha variant, which was initially identified in the United Kingdom. And the big difference with the Delta variant is it moves so fast from person to person. It spreads really quickly. And so instead of like one person being able to spread it to like two, two and a half other people, what we called the r naught with the original virus that we saw, the Delta variant, one person can easily spread it to five to eight other people. And so exponentially, it just spreads so much faster. It also can replicate way faster. So the viral loads, how much virus people are seeing in the nose and the throat is about a thousand times more than what we were seeing with the viral load with the original one. So because of this, we're seeing it move really quickly across the country and across Alaska. And that is part of what's causing so many hospitalizations, now seeing increasing deaths and so many people getting sick. We are also seeing with the Delta variant that our immunizations aren't working quite as well. They were never meant to be 100% protective. They were never 100% protective, but they are less effective against the Delta variant than we saw beforehand. The vaccines are not making them less effective. It's just that the virus, every time it's allowed to replicate, gets a chance to make a, to make a change in itself that either escapes our immunity, escapes the vaccine, or moves more quickly from person to person or less so, it's just we only care about the ones that are causing more of a problem. We just ignore the rest of them. I mean, we watch them, but really we, we don't care from a big population standpoint. So that's a big deal with Delta. We're seeing more vaccine breakthrough cases, but most importantly, we're seeing it affect more and more people. And we're seeing more reinfections. So people who had previously had COVID-19, we're seeing them get COVID-19 again and causing more reinfections. And that's causing more people to get sick more people to be hospitalized, and unfortunately, more people dying. And that's why Delta is different, and that's what we're seeing now. Earlier this summer, when the CDC advised that people who were fully vaccinated could go about their lives without masks in a lot of situations, but then we started having these breakthrough cases, like you mentioned, and people who are fully vaccinated are getting COVID. So can you talk a little bit more about these cases and what it's like for people who get it in terms of symptoms and 
transmissibility? Yes, that's a great question. So when you looked at like the alpha variant or the wild type, which is kind of like the original virus that we saw, even when people got breakthrough cases, we were not seeing high viral loads or much viral culture, making us think that vaccine breakthrough cases really couldn't spread it from person to person. And because of that data, the CDC basically said, okay, those with masks or those who are vaccinated, I guess you don't need to wear a mask because even if you're a vaccine breakthrough case, it doesn't look like you have enough virus to necessarily transmit it to other people. But again, Delta is different. And what we see with Delta is that people who have vaccine breakthrough cases can get enough virus to spread it to others. That being said, vaccinated individuals are less likely to spread it to others than an unvaccinated person. These vaccines are still working remarkably well. There's a couple reasons for that. First of all, you're less likely to get infected if you're vaccinated. Your body, say you cough on me right now and you've got COVID and I get it and I'm vaccinated. My immune system can take down that virus. And depending on how quickly it responds, it may take it down before I notice it or before I would ever even test positive or be a vaccine breakthrough case. But now let's say I get it and I get enough in my system that it's starting to go ahead and replicate enough to cause me to be positive. My immune system's trying to catch up with that with my vaccine. People who get vaccine breakthrough cases are less likely to be hospitalized, less likely to die and have shorter symptoms. They're also faster at clearing the virus. So someone who's unvaccinated may spread that virus to others for a longer period of time than someone who is fully vaccinated. So for all those reasons, the vaccine helps to reduce your chance of getting it, reduce your chance of spreading it, reduce your chance of hospitalization, and reduce your chance of death. It's not 100%. All of these things can happen, and they happen more with Delta than we saw the wild type, but they still look to work remarkably well. So I think the question that I'm most curious about is how likely are you to still get COVID when you are still vaccinated, I think is like kind of my best way to put it in layman's terms, because I we're talking about like breakthrough cases. And I guess I'm not sure if that's making any sense. It totally makes sense. You know, like my daughter's vaccinated and she's at school with a lot of other kids who are unmasked and coughing. I'm like, what is her chance of getting COVID now that she's vaccinated? There's lots of things to take into account there. One is how recently you were vaccinated. So we do see waning immunity over time. So if you're more recently vaccinated, you kind of in that perfect, you know, two weeks past your second shot, that's going to be kind of when you're most protected. And we see some waning over that. Another component is how old you are. So younger people tend to develop a much stronger and better response to a vaccine than older people. As people get older, their immune system just doesn't really care about what it's exposed to anymore and doesn't mount much of a response. It's part of the reason we get vaccines as a child is because that is when our body is like set to go to build a strong immune response. It's probably also why we like, you know, lick shoes and put things in our mouth when we're two years old is because you're like, how about this virus? And how about this bacteria? And that's your body's normal response to build a really strong immune system. But when you're 60, you stop doing that because your body has that normal response and it's your immune system doesn't uh, really remember new pathogens in the same sort of way. So someone who's older is going to be more likely to be a vaccine breakthrough case than someone who is younger. And then the other really important thing to think about is your exposure and what other tools that you use to minimize your exposure. And the same tools before still work now. So keeping your distance from other people, wearing a mask, washing your hands still make a difference in your choice of doing it. So if you're fully vaccinated and you're wearing a mask, that's going to really help you reduce your chance of of getting COVID-19. And it's for that reason that the CDC is recommending not just the fact that vaccinated people could get a breakthrough case and to spread it to others, 
But also when you're in, in areas, indoor areas, particularly in communities with higher substantial transmission, to go ahead and mask up to give yourself an added layer of protection as well. A mask both helps to minimize you spreading it to others, but it also helps to prevent you from breathing it in. And it's mainly because it catches the droplets in which this virus lives. And so that's by, by preventing those droplets from moving from person to person, we really minimize that spread. So for example, myself, fully vaccinated, I work in the emergency department, I wear a mask and you know I take care of COVID positive patients all the time. Knock on wood, I've never gotten COVID, but I add layered protection there when it's in that scenario. But if I'm out for, you know, picking blueberries with my friend, I'm outside, I am low risk, I'm not wearing a mask, it has reduced my chance of that at that side. So it, if you're going to be a vaccine breakthrough case, it has partially to do with how much you expose yourself to COVID on a regular basis and how many additional layers of mitigation you add to your protection. We'll be right back. Alaska Teen Media Institute is looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can conduct interviews like the one you're listening to right now, edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much more. And all of that is paid work. So if you're between the ages of 13 and 24, living in Alaska, and interested in joining ATME, go to alaskateenmedia.org join. You can also email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. Now back to Quinn's interview with Dr. Ann Zink. Speaking about this idea of waning protection, it's now being suggested that people who are vaccinated get a booster shot eight months after they've been fully vaccinated. So can you walk me through the reasoning for needing this additional dose? And will we potentially need even more additional doses down the road? Yeah. So there's two different things I think about with that. One is how strong of immune response does your body build up? And two, how well does the vaccines work against the variants or viruses that are spreading? So first of all, it's very rare for any sort of vaccine to only be a one-shot vaccine. Most vaccines are a two or three-shot series, at least, even the ones you get as a childhood. And some vaccines, you know, like tetanus, are every five to 10 years, depending on your exposure regularly, kind of throughout your life. So depending on the type of vaccine, there are different um, kind of timeframes. The same is true with influenza, but influenza has to do both with waning immunity as well as the variants and viruses that change, these kind of what we call subtypes that change and spread around. The other thing, as I mentioned, is the, the variants um, and what the virus looks like. So against the Delta, these vaccines work well, but they don't work as well as before. And so there are studies undergoing right now on looking at what we call trivalent. So looking at kind of three different versions of this virus, so you get one shot moving forward. How often we need the shots, I don't think we can say at this point. I think we need to see longer term how much protection we have. But what's also going to depend on it is how quickly we collectively as a world can start to decrease the number of COVID infections. Because the more people that are getting infected, the more incubators we have to give this virus a chance to keep changing and to keep making this harder. So that is why uh, we as an entire world have to continue to work on getting as many people as possible vaccinated and decreasing the spread of this virus. People who have natural infection clearly have some significant protection and they are helping to reduce the, the number of people who are also getting sick at the same time. However, natural infection just comes at a substantial risk of you getting much sicker when you're exposed to it. 
And honestly, there are some recent data that shows that if you previously had COVID and you got vaccinated, you're two and a half times less likely to get reinfected. And so kind of think of it like your flashcards. That would be someone who got the vaccine and saw it, so their body remembered it twice. And in this case, with vaccine, you might have gotten two shots, and then with a third dose or a booster dose, it's giving you a third chance to remember that and hoping that your body will remember that for a long time and not forget it. I mean, your immune system can't hold on to everything forever, and so it's going to remember the things that are most important to it. So if you have a disease that nearly killed you, you tend to remember that better. And so people who get really sick from COVID tend to have a better immune response later versus someone who's mildly symptomatic. If your body got three different shots, you're likely going to have a much better memory of that response. And it also depends on how strong your normal immune system is. And so that's why it's really important. We all take care of our immune system. We exercise, we eat well, we make sure we're not vitamin deficient, but some people like people who are older or solid organ transplants, like they had a liver transplant or kidney transplant, they don't have a strong immune systems. And so that's where we see them having the fastest decrease in their vaccine uh, efficacy and why people who are immunocompromised already should get a three dose series. When they start their vaccine, they are now recommended to get three doses versus the rest of us. We are, you know, looking at this booster dose to help us remember it longer term. That makes sense. And like you kind of said, it's really like, even though this is something like we have been hearing and saying a lot in the last like year and a half is it's really important to remember that we're all in this together. And you're saying like getting rid of this and moving on with our lives to get vaccinated. Yeah, we all want COVID to be over. I mean, man, I am the first to want COVID to be gone and done. But um, the reality is, is we have viruses, we have bacteria, we have since the beginning of time. Uh, and we learn from what's worked and what's not worked. That's what part of what makes us human. And we respond. We take care of each other and we find ways to keep each other more healthy and well and safe. But we are all in this together because more people have it. That being said, you know, I think sometimes I see a lot of blaming. Well, this person or that person is responsible for X, Y, or Z. Shame never helps us to get to a better place. And so I would just encourage us all to keep remembering that, you know, you're not going to die instantly if someone doesn't have their mask on, or maybe someone's got really good questions and that's why they haven't gotten vaccinated. And so just continuing to meet each other with space and grace uh, this has been hard on everyone, and uh, we all want our communities, our families, our people, our each other to be healthy and well. Um, and it just takes ongoing conversation and, and working with each other to get to that point. So between these breakthrough cases and recommendations for getting booster shots, how should fully vaccinated people go throughout their day? Should they be acting as if they're not fully vaccinated? I mean, your vaccine definitely provides significant protection. And so I think that we need to trust our vaccines and we need to use them in some degree. Um, I think it depends on your age, your underlying risk factors, people you live with, people you might accidentally spread it with too. So how I go about my day changes if I'm going to be visiting my dad who's undergoing chemotherapy. And it's not just COVID, it's other diseases that I don't want to pick up and I don't want to spread to him. But I think people who are fully vaccinated, and I think of it a little bit like rock climbing, uh, instead of having a single rope to protect you, you know, when it's really steep, you might want two ropes. And so you have a double rope there. So in case one breaks over that rock, you've got some backup. Or think of it like your raincoat. Um, when there's a lot of COVID spreading, before just having a raincoat was probably okay, just being vaccinated. But right now it's pouring COVID in most of our state right now. And so some people are going to get wet and some people are going to get slashed and it might be worth putting an umbrella out and maybe wearing some boots too. 
So wearing a mask when you're in indoor spaces, keeping your circle small. So we all are making different decisions on what that looks like. And this isn't all just about COVID. You know, I sometimes joke that I'm not the chief medical officer of COVID. It's of the, you know, health and well-being of all of us. And so we all make decisions about our physical health, our mental health, what risk we're willing to take, what risk we're not willing to take in consideration of the tools that we can use and if we're vaccinated. But I know for me, being vaccinated is a huge sense of relief. Um, You know, my daughter homeschooled last year. She's in person this year. uh, And because she's vaccinated and that just gives us both a sense of comfort that she can go there safely in that space. Um, And, you know, there's a chance she'll get COVID being in school. There's a chance I'll get COVID from her from being in school. But it's a chance that we're willing to take given the fact we know our symptoms will be much less being vaccinated and knowing that in-person schooling really benefits her. And so that was a decision that our family made. It's not a zero COVID strategy, um, but it is taking into account our overall family's risk benefit at this time. Absolutely. And I really liked your analogy of like comparing it to like when it rains, it pours. I know I have been experiencing the same thing since I've been at school and um, there's a lot of things that are have changed and it's kind of like scary and it's really kind of hard to navigate, but yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. It is hard. I feel badly for our kids. I feel badly for those who can be vaccinated and unvaccinated in schools right now because man, we need to be in school and we need to support each other socially, emotionally, and mentally. Um, But there's a lot of COVID spreading and there's a lot of politics that have got layered on this. And that just does not need to be in kids and kids space. My daughter was telling me yesterday how they were having, you know, they made paper airplanes in their science class. They were all wearing goggles. And I, I, it reminded me of all the things we do in school on a normal basis to keep our kids safe, including goggles for paper airplanes. There are tools that we can use to keep each other safe in schools, including masking, distancing, regular testing. Um, So considering getting tested regularly if you're in a school with very little mitigation strategies, particularly before you visit a friend or a loved one, to just make sure even if you're vaccinated, you didn't pick it up to spread to someone else. So we have a lot more tools than we did this time last year. And so just want to continue to encourage people to use those tools to keep themselves, their community, and their family safe. Speaking of our schools um, right now, I know I've been reading in the news that ASD specifically has like, they're requiring all their students to wear masks during the school year, which totally makes sense because like a lot of those students can't get vaccinated. However, like the Anchorage mayor has spoken out like opposing that requirement. So how do we go through the pandemic when we have community leaders like Mayor Bronson saying things like this, but, and not prioritizing the health and safety of the community? Yeah, you know, I think we do it like we do all of our health things. You know, you talk to your primary care provider, you talk to your family, you talk to the risk benefits and you making decisions yourself. We live in a big and beautiful and oftentimes messy democracy. And we all have a voice in this. We have a voice at the school board. We have a voice at assemblies. We have a voice in who we elect. And so I think the first thing we do is we take steps to keep our friends, our family safe and protected. And the best thing we can do there is vaccinate and then add on top of it additional layered mitigation. We continue to speak to our friends and family, and we continue to speak to, you know, those who represented us to make sure that they truly represent us. So it's one of the things that can be really frustrating in our democracy, but it's also one of the amazingly wonderful things about our democracy uh, is that we all have a voice in this and we all get a voice in, in, in how it goes. And there's checks and balances. 
there are, you know, there's a school board and there are superintendents and there's mayors and there's governors and there's presidents and uh, there's court systems. And all of those things are continually working in a check and balance in this space. But I would just continue to encourage Alaskans to be involved in the process um, to make sure that they don't uh, get cynical or <laughs> um, get super frustrated. Um, you know, this is this is how our democracy was set up. Uh, was to have robust discussion about what makes sense for the population uh, as a whole. Um, and it, But it takes us to be engaged. It takes us to be thoughtful. It takes us to be informed. It takes us to be engaged uh, to be able to create a better society uh, for each other. Because that's what we're really, like you mentioned earlier, we're all in this together. But we're all in this together in, in the government. I mean, it's for the people and by the people. And so we have to we have to be engaged in that space. Um, to be able to, I hate politics. I don't like getting involved in a lot. But um, I do know that we have healthier outcomes when we make choices collectively together and um, appreciate so many Alaskans learning about COVID, finding ways to protect themselves as others, and thinking about how to make their communities healthy and well. I couldn't agree more that um, being informed, especially about things with COVID, is so, so important. And Another question I have that's kind of related is since the pandemic has started, like there's been a lot of really influential politicians who have like kind of flip flopped on their like um, opinions and stances on COVID. And like there have been people like Donald Trump who like in the past have downplayed it and are now advocating for the vaccine. How do you think these messages affect vaccine hesitancy or not? I, I think it's mixed in a couple of different ways. So first of all, I think we would all love a simple answer, right? We'd all love do this, this, and this, and you're going to be safe or it's going to be over. The reality is that's not life and that's not science. Our science is our best understanding at this time of how the natural world works. I mean, science itself is not a belief system. It's not, you know, we don't need to believe in science. Science is just science. Science is just reporting out what we see in the natural world and trying to understand the natural process as um, best we possibly can. The data and information that we have regarding COVID-19 has changed tremendously uh, since the very beginning of this. I mean, we bear, I remember the first day when we were trying to figure out if this was even a coronavirus that was making people sick in China. Uh, and think about how many people know what coronaviruses are now and uh, all the makeup of them and all the details. Like we have, we have learned a lot collectively. So in some ways, you know, our, our leaders and our politicians, most of them are, are not scientists and public health experts and doctors. Uh, and they've had to learn a lot in this space as well. And they would like, you know, simple answers. Do this and this will happen. They're easier to message. They're easier to communicate. Um, but that's not how life works. It's much more nuanced and it's much more complex than that. And that can be frustrating uh, to hear as an individual, like, well, what do you mean you don't know? Like, I need to know. I'm like, I know, but we don't know yet. Like, I don't know when this surge from Delta is going to slow down. I can look at some trends. I can make some predictions, but I don't know. And none of us can really say that we know. We're, we have to be constantly humble to all of the things that we don't know. So I think that it, part of it is in the messaging uh, where people can change the messaging. But I also think that we as individuals need to also expect the messages to change. And we need to hold our leaders accountable for a changing message, for a message that continues to evolve as our understanding of this virus evolves. Uh, and so with that, um, you know, I, I hope that we can all continue, as you mentioned before, stay informed in this space and continue to keep ourselves and others um, healthy and well. Education's key. I mean, uh, understanding the role of denominators, understanding like how health works, 
Um, it's medicine is an art. It's not a science. Uh, and we're constantly, constantly learning new things. And it presents very differently uh, in individuals and individual people. I mean, just look at how differently, you know, a 20 year old can present with COVID completely asymptomatically think it's just their allergies, completely lose their sense of taste and smell present with like real massive shortness of breath, you know, had a recent super young person present with a large clot that, you know, filled up their lungs. And that was their first presentation of COVID. So people's bodies respond differently, even when the virus is very similar. So I think we just need to realize that that that's how, that's how life works. That's how viruses and bacteria work. That's how our bodies work. And there's a lot of unknowns and that can be scary and it can be overwhelming because it's much easier to act on unknowns, right? Like, well, if I don't do this, I'll be fine. And I think that's very human, but there's a lot of unknowns and particularly with medicine and science. We've lived in a golden age of medicine with antibiotics and antivirals, but primarily vaccines. That's how we fight viruses that have really um, minimized the impact of infectious diseases on us as humans. But 100 years ago, and really for the rest of time prior to that, that was not the case. These viruses and bacteria were constantly plaguing us. And we're seeing more of that now. We're seeing viruses spread more quickly. We're seeing antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Uh, and I think bacteria and viruses are going to continue to be with us. So we continue to learn, uh, teach our immune system with vaccines when they're safe and efficacious to kind of take it down, uh, and to be able to continue to support our body's normal, healthy immune system by, again, exercise, diet, mental health, taking care of each other. Absolutely. And I know, like you mentioned, the uncertainty and um, since the beginning of the pandemic has been the hard, one of the hardest things to deal with is, um, yeah, it's really hard to, you know, predict what's going to happen. We all want to, right? Like, I want to know, should I go to that dinner or not? Should I cancel that event? Am I going to be able to go to graduation? What's going to happen for college? But the reality is, is, you know, we know that the weather can change and the weatherman is often wrong. Um, and so we, you know, learn that this time of year we throw in a rain jacket and we take extra precautions in it. The difference between something like the weather, which can have trends and knowns and unknowns, is we have control to some degree as a community, as a society, on how much bad weather we're going to have. How much COVID is spreading is really dependent on all of us and what we do collectively in that space or not. But we also just, um, you know, we put on our snow tires in the winter because we know the conditions are bad. Right now, the COVID conditions are bad. So put on your tires, take the extra protection that you need to make sure that you make it to your next event safely. And that's how I think we're going to be able to as quickly as possible move through this wave. Can you tell me about some of your personal experiences with talking to people who are hesitant about getting the vaccine? Yeah, I mean, uh, I get the opportunity to talk to people all the time who are hesitant to get the vaccine and, and people have really different reasons. There's clearly trends. I would say recently, particularly with the COVID surge that's been happening, people are more open to having uh, an honest conversation about getting vaccinated than I've ever seen before. I feel like the first wave, there were a lot of people who were really excited and they were just moving through. And then they, it really settled down with very few people making the decision to get vaccinated or a lot of hesitancy. But I think that many people are open to that discussion now in a way that they hadn't been beforehand. So that's been, it's been reassuring. It's been uplifting to be able to have those conversations. Big things I hear all the time are, um, you know, an expectation that the vaccine is perfect and concerns about it because they hear vaccine breakthrough cases or things like that. So talking about what vaccines do and don't do and the expectation is huge. I oftentimes see people make a false equivalent to the risk of COVID versus the risk of the vaccine. 
So they may say, well, my kids were fine when they got it. So this isn't really this big of a deal. It needs to be fine. Like, why are you making such a big deal out of it? And it's fantastic that their kids were fine. And many kids are completely fine. But when we look at the population as a whole, people greater than the age of 12 do much worse with COVID than they do with the vaccine. And it's from that population data. And you are always going to have examples that don't fit that perfect example. And so you can pull out these stories and these one examples, but we need to look at the population as a whole for recommendations as a population as a whole. So vaccine is much safer than getting COVID-19. And I, I think people don't realize that. They think that somehow that not getting vaccinated is the only choice that they're making. But the choice that they're really making is getting COVID without the protection of a vaccine. <laughs> and I think by changing the script that way, people think about it differently. Oh, I'm choosing to get COVID without the vaccine versus choosing to get COVID with the vaccine. I mean, that's the choice we're all making. There's a lot of misinformation about things like fertility and about long-term side effects. Um, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. You know, when you asked the question earlier about political leaders, I think the more danger that's happening is from a very small group of highly resourced um, people putting a lot of disinformation on the internet. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's like a, what they call the dirty dozen, about 12 major for-profit groups are making a ton of money by selling you some drug that's supposedly going to cure you instantly or telling you not to get vaccinated because this and this, this can hurt you. And you can go ahead and pay for your visit to be able to get more information and the rest of it. But that disinformation is costing us lives right now. And that I think is the bigger problem than honestly political leaders and, and um, the space. It's the, it's the disinformation, active disinformation campaigns that are widely spread, particularly on social media right now, that are costing so many lives in this country. So to kind of start to wrap up our conversation today with all these moments of hope, like with the vaccines being released and getting full approval with, with the FDA, coupled with things like breakthrough cases and surges in infection, I guess my question kind of is, is, is there a hope to all of this, like putting a wrap on the pandemic, I guess? Absolutely. I mean, the moment we lose hope, we lose our fight and we lose um, our path forward. There is so much hope. And I appreciate you ending on that question. Uh, what a great question to end on, because I think that the hopelessness uh, can sometimes pervade everything. We have no reason to be fearful. We have no reason to be hopeless. We have amazing tools at our fingertips and at our disposal to keep ourselves, our families and our community safe. We just have to make the choice to, to use them. I will also say no epi curve goes up forever. No pandemic goes on forever. <laughs> this will get better. It will settle down over time. These cases will go back down uh, and people will be better. The question is, is how many of our friends, our colleagues, our loved ones get really sick or we lose along the way? That is the decision that we're making. And, um, you know, if we take these tools and mitigation, it will be less impactful. We won't overwhelm our healthcare system the same way. We will make sure that not as many people get sick and die from this disease. So it's more about how bad it's going to be, not if it will all go on forever. This will, this will go down. And as more people get vaccinated and as more people are exposed to the virus, we will collectively develop more protection. Um, I think we all, there may be some physicians or there may be some epidemiologists out there, but in general, the consensus right now amongst um, infectious disease experts and epidemiologists is that the idea of herd immunity, that we will completely eliminate this virus worldwide, 
is not going to happen. And it's not going to happen anytime soon um, until we have different vaccines or we have other tools that are out there. And so we will be living with this virus uh, for a while. I guess I would just say, don't lose hope. Uh, There's so much to be hopeful for. Alaskans have worked. We looked at Alaska data compared to other states uh, that were similar to us, you know, and saved somewhere around 2,500 hospitalizations, almost 1,000 lives, $60 million of Medicaid funding, $10 million of GF, just by collectively working together through this pandemic. We've still lost a ton of people. We've still lost over 400 people. We've still had a lot of hospitalizations. But collectively, we have chosen to respond um, by by mitigating this the, the huge wave that we saw in the lower 48. And we just have to choose to do it again in this wave. So I'm hoping Alaskans can step into that space as we enter the fall and with this current Delta surge. Dr. Zink, thank you so much for your time and taking the time to break everything down that all made so much sense. And I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the time for asking. It's uh, great to get information out there and appreciate some fantastic questions. That was At Me senior producer Quinn White speaking with Dr. Ann Zink, Alaska's chief medical officer. You've been listening to Podcast in Place from Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengost with additional music from Kendrick Whiteman. You can find these stories at alaskateenmedia.org, where we have included resources for youth in partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people whose land we work on. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including Della Cutchins, Spirit of Youth, and United Way of Anchorage. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of our sponsors. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like Atme. Just go to patreon.com slash Alaska Teen Media. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our series on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And don't forget to check out our website, alaskateenmedia.org. There you can learn more about what our organization does, discover more youth-produced content, or find out how to get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Ada Bjorkman. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. We'll get through this together.